You're listening to a podcast from Grace Church in Salado, Texas. For more information and resources just like this, visit us online at gracesalado.com. We're going to be reading from Luke 10, 38 through 42. While they were traveling, he entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister named Mary, who also sat at the Lord's feet and was listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by her many tasks, and she came up and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to serve alone? So tell her to give me a hand. The Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has made the right choice, and it will be not taken away from her. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you so much. If you want to know more about that t-shirt she was wearing, she is a part of our Grace Kids staff, volunteers, and uh, you can join Ms. Gieske and anybody else that wants to serve in our Grace Kids. If you want to know more about how to do that, just notify Lauren or Johanna or David or me or anybody that looks like they know what they're doing, and, um, and we would love to connect you and get you connected in, um, in a way of serving here. So you heard the text. You may have heard this text before, and you might be saying, ooh, he's risky doing this sermon right after the busiest week of hosting in our country's history every year. Like this is the week of weeks of hosting, of entertaining, of feeding. And we come to this text in Luke chapter 10 and you're like, Jason's trying to trick us. Well, good news for you. Uh, We are just, this is the text that's next. But I did realize several weeks ago that this is falling on the week after Thanksgiving and I kind of had to smile and I was like, oh, we're going to be ready to really look at this after what we have encountered this last week with our families. So I'm excited about this. We had a wonderful time in the first service as God opened up for us and called us into himself. And so as we begin to look at this today, here in this service, I want to just remind you of something you already know, and that's every family will struggle at harmony at times. It's not just your family. It's not just here. Every family, sometimes or somebody gets off or a little sideways or a little look this way or that way or conversations flow, usually out of some sort of different temperaments or personality or different expectations that are there. And it turns into bickering and then it can turn into arguing. Then it can quickly turn into squabbling that turns into just flat out insults to one another as we've gathered together. And it makes gathering together, well, not so pleasant, right? We begin to think that maybe going to mom and dad's house or maybe having them over here is not always safe. It's unpleasant. Strengths that we have are usually unappreciated Our weaknesses are often exposed and even sort of pointed out at times. If we're honest, we must admit that sometimes we leave those family gatherings thinking less about the strengths of our family members, and we actually begin to think more about their shortcomings and weaknesses. Martha and Mary can relate. 
The same can be applied for our church family. If we're honest, I mean, the church family is not the, it, it, the, the immediate family is not the only one that has these squabbles and this disharmony. It's also the church family can experience this as well, usually flowing. And I'll just repeat the same thing I just said about yours and my immediate family, uh, flowing from different temperaments, personalities, um, expectations. The bickering can turn into arguing and squabbling that eventually becomes insults that we give or put out there toward one another. And it makes the gathering sometimes in the church feel unpleasant, maybe even unsafe. Just like a regular family, strengths are often unappreciated. And instead, our weaknesses are often exposed and pointed out and looked at and look what they're doing wrong and look what's not happening there that should be happening. And if we're honest and we want to admit it that we leave sometimes our church gatherings, our church families, whatever churches you've been through in your past, where we think that place is not safe. That place is a place that there's more weaknesses than strengths, more things that I don't like than I do like. And then we talk about those things. It happened to to me this week when I hear more about what's not being done well versus what is done well. And so we tend to see this not only in our immediate families, but in our church families also. Well, Jesus can relate. And here in the story, what we see him is respond in a way that brings ministry to both Martha and Mary, we see something beautiful in Jesus' ministry to them. I think something that can teach us as we close out 2023 and move into 2024, things that we should begin to examine and apply today. So let's go to the Lord in prayer as we unpack these few verses together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for sending your Son to save us, to redeem us, to pay the price that we could not pay so that we can have access to you. Jesus, thank you for coming, not only coming to to be the atoning sacrifice for me and for us, uh, but also coming to teach and instruct and show us how to live. And Holy Spirit, we ask that you would open our mind and our eyes and our ears to behold wonderful things from the law and from the word of God today. Teach us, help us draw near to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, let's start. Verse 38, we see, while they were traveling, he entered Jesus, he entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. The village that they are in is most likely Bethany, which is about two miles east of Jerusalem. Remember, what we've been looking at in the the book of Luke is that Jesus has set his face toward Jerusalem. It's time for him to go. It's time for him to go and do and fulfill what it means to be the sacrificial lamb of God. And so he is en route to this. And before they really get into it, two miles outside of Jerusalem, they come to Bethany, and there's Martha. This literally could be translated, Martha received him, which implies several things. First of all, that Martha is the owner of the home, and she has permission, therefore, and the freedom to invite people in. This is an opportunity for her. It's my home. I see, I see Jesus. I want to invite them in. What an opportunity this is for Martha 
and for Jesus and his followers to come in and be served. Martha opens up her door, does the wonderful loving thing, and invites them in. Then look, look with me in verse 39. She had a sister named Mary who also sat at the Lord's feet and was listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by her many tasks. No real need to dissect what is happening here. It's quite clear, right? Both women are approaching their encounter with Jesus in different ways. One thing that I've learned from Scripture and throughout my life in ministry is that our circumstances that we're dealing with right now usually affect how we approach Jesus. And how we approach Jesus usually reveals what is most important to us. That's what we see here. Mary seeks a time of devotion while Martha is distracted. When it comes to your opportunity to spend time with God, how do you typically approach that moment? Do you just kind of bring Jesus in as you're doing this or doing that, as you're getting work done? Do you just sort of like add commentary from podcast or music or whatever? Is, do you call that your devotional time? Whatever we're dealing with in the moment, that shows how we approach Jesus. And it also reveals what is most important to us at that time. We look at Mary and Martha, and we see that they approach Jesus in different ways. Let's look at them one at a time. First of all, Mary's devotion. What does it look like? It shows here that Mary sat at the Lord's feet. That's important. She did not sit in front of the TV. She did not sit with her phone glued to her ear. She did not sit at her computer while she involved Jesus in. She did not sit with him at work. She did not sit with him behind the wheel of the car. Like there's a lot going on here. She's not sitting with him as she's working on some project. She's not sitting next to him. She's not sitting over him. She's sitting at the feet of Jesus, at the Lord's feet. This is a demonstration and a sign of her submission to him. This is a sign of I want to be in the presence of this one who can teach me, show me. I'm going to be still before the Lord. I'm going to sit. I'm not going to be like, hey, Jesus, we're going this way. Let's go. And as I go, will you help me out with this and with that and with this and with that? No. She's sitting. She's being still. Mary recognizes the amazing privilege that has been granted to her. If this truly is the Messiah, then nothing else really matters, right? Then what is right there happening in the home? Nothing else matters than her beholding and sitting, being still. Everything else is canceled because right now for her, the most important thing she can be doing is taking in as much of Jesus as she can and as he allows for her to have. She is sitting at his feet. She's not sitting over him saying, okay, Jesus, here's the list I've got for you to do. That's how we approach God sometimes. I've got a list for you. Okay, come here. Come here, God. Come here. Okay, here, if you can do this, if you can do this, if you can do this, then you do that. If you go do that, then we'll, we'll be good. And, and that's how we sometimes approach Jesus. No, Mary comes ready to sit and receive. She's not bringing her list to Jesus. She's sitting at the Lord's feet. It says that also she was listening to what he said. 
She's not listening to what others are saying. She's not listening to what her own cravings are. She's listening to what he has for her. She's listening to the phone. That's right. Anyway, listening to what he has for her. This happens, right, where we come to God and we are so consumed with what we think he needs to hear from us. And we're going to start looking at prayer in January. But a lot of times just being with the Lord is sitting and listening to him, reading from him. She listened. This is about her learning, about her growing, not just learning and growing in good things to be doing. She is listening to the Lord and receiving his words. Mary is focused on being present in the presence of God. That's her focus. I'm present in the presence of God. And Jesus' words were at the center of her life. Where do you sit when you come to your time with God? Do you, do you kind of sit behind him? Do you sit above him? Do you put him equal to you? Who are you listening to really when you come and spend time with the Lord? My family hears this from me a lot. You've heard it from me a lot. Whose words are the loudest in your life? A lot of times we say we have this relationship with God when really our dialogue with God, our words are louder than his words. When you come to the Lord, do you listen to his word? Do you receive his words? It's important that we understand that it's not and should not be called a devotional time if our focus in that moment is on other things. It's not devotional time when I'm doing a host of other things. It's not devotional time when I just sort of turn the radio on as I'm driving to work. What am I devoted to in that moment? It's not listening to God and my devotion is get to work. It's not devotional time when I'm hearing some podcast or something about God while I'm finishing a project that's due. Why? Because your devotion is to the project. Mary is modeling for us here the importance of truly being devoted to a time with the Lord where you sit under him and hear his word. Mary shows devotion by making time with the Messiah a priority. Is that for you? Is, is devotion with God a priority in your life? Why not? What is it that's distracting you? What It could be a hundred good things. It could be a lot of things distracting you from the presence of God. Let's look at Martha. Martha's distracted from the presence of God. And let's look at some of the things that distract her. And let's look at some of the things we can learn about this. She was distracted for sure. And Martha was distracted by good things, right? She was distracted by her offering. She was distracted by her gift and her gift of hospitality. I'm opening up my home. I'm serving Jesus. I'm going to do all these things. And it's a distraction as she is serving. Martha's distracted by her own service to and her own service for the Lord. Her work, her busy work, is distracting her from the presence of the Messiah. 
Remember, circumstances usually dictate how we respond to Jesus. And another way that we should consider this is what we care about most in the moment will determine how we approach God in that moment. For Martha, what matters most is not to receive from Jesus, but to give. It's a distraction. We see it all the time. And unfortunately, it's what is true about so many times when we approach God in moments of desperation, as if he doesn't know that we're struggling with this or our loved ones are struggling with this. He knows what's going on. But what should be exposed when we evaluate and examine how many times we go to God in prayer, it's like sometimes I wonder God, God doesn't just say, yeah, I, I know. I, I love that person more than you love that person. But I, I, I want to talk to you. I want to, I want to speak to you. I want to share something with you. We see Martha was distracted away from spending time in devotion to Jesus. And before we begin to justify the important, busy activity that she is doing, I think it's important for us to understand what she's missing out on because she is a busybody. We see that being distracted from Jesus is a distraction from peace, joy, contentment. Did you catch that here, right? Like when you read verse 40, do you hear somebody who has peace, contentment, and joy? We don't see that here. She's distracted by many tasks. There's a lacking of what Jesus is actually bringing. I'm bringing peace. I'm bringing pleasure. I'm bringing joy. And Martha has chosen to get busy for Jesus instead of spending time with Jesus. And this choice as a busy hostess, impacts this moment tremendously. Verse 40, but Martha was distracted by her many tasks, and she came up and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to serve alone? So tell her to give me a hand. This is, this is a big, impactful moment, and what I want, to, want us to do is people who are busy, I want us to understand that sometimes there's an effect of the group. There's an effect that happens in the group. There's an effect that happens in our own lives when we become busybody. Let's just look real quickly at what the effects of a busybody minister. First of all, busy people control the task. Martha's tasks were deemed as greater to her and therefore she sort of controlled the room. She controlled the mood. As the hostess, what was of most value to her, she was trying to inflict that this should be the most value for everybody. She wanted the group to appreciate what was most valuable to her. There's a control, a grab of control, a grab of this is urgent. This is the most important thing. Have you ever noticed in your life that when you're crushing the task, you're knocking things out, and you're doing it for other people, that sometimes people aren't following you. People are like, Ugh, would you just go do your thing? Quit trying to control me to do your thing with you. Busybody control the task. It leads to the next effect that busy, busy people have on a group, and that is that she begins to complain. Busy people begin to complain, don't they? We see it here. Lord, don't you care? What is she really saying with that question? 
Don't you care about me? Don't you care that I alone am doing all of this? Don't you care that I'm left alone to do all this? I'm alone. Don't you care? Jesus, don't you notice my task? Don't you notice what I am doing for you and for everybody else? Don't you notice? Don't you care for the project that I put all the time in to do? Don't you see? And shouldn't you highlight what I'm doing over here? This is a complaining person who was busy doing good things for God instead of spending time with God. It leads to these complaints. My work that I'm committed to with excellence is not being appreciated. These complaints don't stop here. The lack of control that we have when we're busy turns into complaining that eventually turns into being critical. Busy people begin to criticize others, don't we? When we are busybodies and we get involved, we begin to point out why and what other people are doing to not be involved with what is important to us. It's a part of that control. We move from complaining to being critical. We see the criticism of Mary. My sister has left me to serve alone. You can almost hear the tone of the of the sisters, right? Like you can hear like, yeah, that's what she always does. This is who she, like, she drops the ball. She's not reliable. She won't be. She's doing what I thought she would do. Um, It's probably why I have the house and she doesn't have the house. This is why she's here in my house not doing what she should be doing. And you can see it just roll on from there. But in a way, what we see Martha doing here is she's not only criticizing Mary, think about it, she's actually beginning to criticize Jesus, Lord, don't you care? Don't you care? Aren't, aren't you saying, what is she saying here? Doesn't it not, does it not bother you, Jesus? Why isn't it bothering you, Jesus? It should trouble you more than it's troubling you or more than you're showing that it's troubling you. Why don't you care that she's not joining me? Why are you not caring about my important busy work that I'm all alone and demanding people to do something. And it's not written here, but you can almost imply, and the way this happens to me sometimes is, Jason, you're not recognizing what's happening. You're not supporting what's happening because you're not speaking to it. And therefore, you're missing the boat. In my history as a minister of the gospel, in the church since I was 18 years old, usually the complaints that I hear the most come from those who are the most busy for the church. It just happens. People doing really good work, good stuff, hard stuff, rolling up their sleeves, getting after it when nobody else is getting after it, doing really good things, motivated by different reasons maybe, but then all of a sudden when they realize, wait a minute, nobody's helping me, they start to complain. And then they start looking for people to be critical about. Martha finds herself in this trap. She is distracted by the many good things. And unfortunately, she doesn't stop at the simple complaint. She doesn't stop at the criticism. You can almost hear what happens next. You can almost hear what busy people do. They begin not only to complain, they begin to then condemn. Busy body, 
busy people be, you know, usually condemn others. It's not enough because they can't control it. They start to condemn. She has left me to serve alone. Translation, she's untrustworthy. She has burdened me and she doesn't care about my burden. Therefore, she's the burden. Tell her to give me a hand. She's not reactive. She's lazy. Tell her to give me a hand. I have a burden. She's not helping me. So therefore, she's the burden. Jesus, you're not fixing her for me. You can almost hear the condemnation in this. Maybe you're not that kind. You, God, have favorites, and I don't seem to be one of them. That's a condemnation that we give to God sometimes. When we see, it seems like God is blessing some people with these things and blessing them with these things, and you're rolling up your sleeves and you're working hard, and he just keeps saying no, no, no to the things you keep bringing to him. It doesn't mean that he has favorites, but we quickly go into this complaining, critical condemnation mode. We see it in the church when we say things like this group or this church, this church family doesn't love me because they don't love what I love the most. They don't jump on my task when my tasks are important. They don't seek me out. They don't do these things. So my church might be an unsafe place to be. This is the mood of the event at Martha's house now. It has now been altered. First, come on in. Welcome. I want you here. The busybody person couldn't control the situation, so she complained and criticized, and you can hear the con condemnation in the room. Instead of being gracious, generous and merciful. She was a host that missed out on bringing joy and peace, instead created a toxic environment. Though I don't know for sure how Martha felt, when we read this, I'm saddened for her. The regrets that she will feel when they leave, I have felt. When people have left a meeting that I've led or my home, when I've concentrated on doing this or doing that or making sure this is heard and I can't control everything and I get grumpy and I start to complain. There's a sorrow here of a missed opportunity. I'm sad for her as I read it because I see this in my own life sometimes and maybe you do it in your life. I believe that most people who choose to get really busy, that become busy bodies for God, they don't wake up in the morning saying, you know what, how can I really wreck the environment of this family? They don't say, oh, Thanksgiving's coming. I want to make sure that my mood and my complaining affects everybody so that things get done. No, usually when that happens... There's some sort of conviction for those who follow God. Say, you know what? Oh, they're gone. I missed it. 
I should have been blessing instead of criticizing. I should have been blessing instead of condemning. I should have been encouraging. I should have stopped and, and, and listened. And I know some of you might be here like, you don't understand the task. I, I don't understand what you have to do. But here we see a moment where Martha missed it and her actions affected the family. Martha, Martha forfeited the opportunity to behold the excellence of God so that she could do something or produce something that was excellent in her mind. It's a trap that we repeat over and over. We get sideways with people in our church or in our family when we learn that they don't share the same passions about the things that we want them to share passions about. So what does Jesus do with this? We're not here to cast judgment on Martha. We're not here to cast judgments or do a contrast with Mary and Martha, even though that we've been doing that. What we're here to do is notice the ministry of Jesus to Martha and to Mary. So how does he respond? So the Lord answered her, talking about Martha, after she was complaining and being critical. The Lord answered her, Martha, Martha. You are worried and upset about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has made the right choice, and it will not be taken away from her. Almost, you almost hear this emphatic word from Jesus there at verse 42. That no matter how loud you bark, it's not going to be taken away from Mary. But before we get to that, notice how he approaches Martha. 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 The repetition of Martha's name here emphasizes the tenderness toward her. The tenderness that he gives to her. Like, I have the, I want to assure you, Martha, I see you. I see what you're doing alone. I see who's not helping you. I hear you, Martha, Martha. It's like a tender invitation. Come, receive grace and mercy because right now you're not providing a lot of grace and mercy. The repetition of her name is an emphasis of his tenderness to her in this moment. Let me ask you, are you tenderhearted to those who act like Martha sometimes. I, I didn't see anybody do it, so I'm not calling anybody out specifically, but there's a tendency when we come to this story or we start thinking about Martha or Mary or Martha versus Mary, we tend to do that elbow jab into the person we think's the Martha of the family. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, we know. Don't do to your spouse or to your child or to your coworker or to what Jesus wouldn't do. He is tender here. He he pulls her in, jabbing somebody because they are realizing I'm a busybody that might be affecting my family is an insult to them. What Jesus wants us to do is say, oh, oh, you're missing, you're missing out. I love you. You're choosing the wrong things to be passionate about. And you're hurting people around you. 
Jesus sees this. He, he wants to provide mercy. And he, as he calls her in, he's like, Martha, Martha, there's this tenderness. Like, come here, Martha, Martha. He does point out the error. You are worried and you are troubled over many things. Some translations say you are anxious and upset. Like Jesus is pointing out, like, you shouldn't be wearing this anxiety as a badge of, look at me and uh, what's important to me. No, it's, Martha, Martha, you, you, these things are controlling you. There's one important thing you're missing. Anxiety, worry, fear truly has a compounding fact, uh, effect on our life, doesn't it? Being anxious or worried about one thing, again, that begins because we're not in control of something. It begins to snowball really quickly. For me, how it happens is I can see something happening in my son's life or my daughter's life that I can't control. And I was like, ah, not necessarily behavior of them, but maybe things happening to them. And I start getting anxious and worried about that instead of being in awe of God and trusting that he loves them more than I could ever love them. I start to worry about this little bitty thing. I start picking at that string. And the next thing I know, how I worry about this one affects the sibling. And then it affects my marriage. And then it affects my coworkers. Or it could happen in staff where I'm worried about this one thing and everybody else is receiving this. Like, oh no, it's just, it brings instability all around you because one thing you start to be in awe of over God. Mary's done the right thing as Martha is worried and anxious and upset. It's an invitation from Jesus to Martha. Jesus is tenderly calling her to a better way. Martha, Martha, I I see you. Welcome in. Come be still. This, what Mary's doing is not going to be taken away from her. It's going to be precious. It's going to be held on to her forever. You're going to serve another meal tomorrow. It's almost like she, he's saying to her, Do you, don't you know this better way? Don't you notice that your criticizing and your complaining and your second guessing is affecting others around you? You don't want to be that person, Martha. And I don't want you to be that person. I didn't create you to be that other person. So come on in, Martha. The ministry and life of Jesus is tenderly calling us to a better way. Well, what is that way? What is Jesus' ministry here? What is he teaching us? Well, just to sum up, He's calling us tenderly to a life of private devotion to God. He's not saying don't work. He's not saying because, you know, Lauren's going to be calling you, hey, when he volunteers, and you're going, oh, Jesus, I mean, uh, Jason preached a sermon that Jesus said we're not supposed to work. That's not what he's saying. A day-by-day discipline to sit the feet of Jesus and receive his word. When I grew up, we called it what? Quiet time. We didn't say, we didn't call it as you go to school time. We didn't say it while you're in class, put it in your ears time. No, it's a 
quiet time. It's a still time. It's being still before the Lord. It's been called the holy habits of grace. It's been called the spiritual disciplines. It's been called, one of my favorites, the practice of his presence. Martha being in awe of tasks, being in awe of the work, the project, or the lack of work in others, she misses being in awe of Jesus. And the invitation is for us to practice the presence of God every day of our life. When we get to a certain age, I'm 51, about to be 52. Many of you know this. If you don't know this, you're going to know it. You're going to get an invitation from your physician. It's time for an annual checkup. It's time for you to come in and let's examine, let's see how you're going. Now, when that happens, most people usually don't care for that invitation. I don't really want to go to this because he's probably or she's going to tell me things that maybe I already know. It's not going to be a fun examination. I'm not going to probably get an A+. I might, but most likely I'm not. And usually I'm going to have to leave with homework. I'm going to have to leave trying to do better. So what we do is we like, well, I'll just go next year. What we do is, when we do that, is we ignore that exam or we ignore that time with the doctor and we choose a year of not improving our physical life. So the invitation for us is to understand that our spiritual and emotional and mental health is the same way. I'm inviting you. It's November 26th today. As your pastor, I invite you to begin today to examine what you are in awe of. Begin the examination. Be the kind of person that Jesus says he chose a better way in 2024. He moved things around. He started to become in awe of me more than he's in awe of the projects he's doing. What you'll notice when you do this, when you practice the presence of God as a spiritual and holy discipline in your life, you might be busy about a lot of things, but you'll notice the condemnation of others, the critical thinking of others, the complaining will get less and less and less. And guess what happens to your family when that happens? They start to see the fruits of that spiritual time of peace, of joy, of love, power, strength. So, I want you to consider this December a gift from the Lord saying to you, whatever your name is, Jason, Jason, come do this better thing in 2024. First, examine what you're devoting your life to. I want to encourage you to to do what I'm going to do and block out some time every morning and every evening just to say, okay, God, reveal to me what, what needs to be tweaked or changed. I've been doing that since I was a teenager in this season of life before it gets really busy at Christmas. Here's three passages of Scripture I want to encourage you to write down right now, and you can begin your examination this way. You know, when you check in to the doctor, you got to go to the desk, and they're going to ask you for, are, is your insurance still the same? Is your primary uh, support line or call still the same? They're going to do all this. Te- so you have to start your doctor's visit that way. Start your examination of your spiritual and emotional life this way. Psalm 23. You've heard it before. Hear the promise of stiller waters, greener pastures that he wants you to come to. Psalm 46, what Sam read earlier, 
toward the end of it, there's the promise and the invitation to be still and know that he is God. But here's where it gets really amped up. Isaiah 55. Go this month and read it over and over and over again, the invitation and the promises of what God wants to give to you and me every day. I want to feed you. And when I feed you my words, no one's going to take it away from you. And you'll start to be in awe of me. And you'll go out with joy. This is what I encourage you to do. The way I've been practicing the presence of God as a discipline in my life, just to encourage you to join me in this three times a day, morning, lunch, and evening. Not perfect, but they involve Scripture reading, some sort of plan of reading the Word, Scripture memory, and Scripture application. Usually what's been happening lately is I'll read a big chunk of Scripture in the morning, and all I'm doing during that time is, Lord, I'm praying, Lord, teach me, show me something new, and then I'm marking stuff up. And then at lunchtime, when I get alone, I shut my door, and, and I'm like, okay, how can I apply the things I marked up in the morning? Because you're busy, and I'm busy, and let me, okay, mark it up and see it this time. Let me come another time during the day and, and then pray. And sometimes it's only a prayer. God, the things that you just taught me four hours ago, five hours ago, is there something I can be doing right now to make them put them into practice? And then when I go to the evening, you know what that's usually filled with? Whatever I didn't finish reading in the morning? And a thank you. God, thank you for giving me your word today. And when I thank him, it's usually a reminder to myself. This is what I read this morning. This is what he led me to apply. And it's just saturating your day. It's not hard. And we can do this. This is the invitation for us. I want to close with this. Martha gets a bad rap, doesn't she? I mean, let's be honest. When you think of the Apostle Thomas, what's the name that we give Thomas? Doubting Thomas. Poor guy. Had one moment where he wasn't in the room, and all of a sudden he's like labeled forever. Thomas went further than any of the Like He took it. He's like, I'll show you how much faith I have. Martha gets a bad rap because we see her in this moment and we sort of pigeonhole her as this busybody who's bringing all of this distraction and, and condemnation to the family. But on your own, I want to encourage you to go and read John 11. I'd do it today. In John 11, what we see in this story here, we don't have time to read it now, but Mary and Martha have a brother named Lazarus. And Lazarus is on the verge of dying The word gets to Jesus. Jesus starts heading toward them, but he doesn't make it in time. And Lazarus eventually dies. And usually when we have a death of a loved one, our strengths sometimes get exposed, but a lot of times our weaknesses get exposed. Things get really raw. Things get really honest during that time. And this is what we see happening here with Martha and Mary when they finally hear that Jesus is getting close. Jesus didn't make it in time, but he's on his way. And when he gets there, pick it up in verse 17 and 32 if you want to just read that part. Here's what we notice. When Martha hears that Jesus is near, you know what she does? She doesn't say, oh, let's fix the house up. Hey, Mary, get up. Let's go. We got to get the pillows all situated. We got to get the food going. We got to, no, she ran to him. Martha, it's, I picture just whatever she's doing, he's where? Let's go. I want to be with him. 
I need him. Martha said that Jesus would have done what was needed if he would be there. We hear that sometimes with a critical mind, like, yeah, she's criticizing Jesus. No, she's acknowledging Jesus. You have the compassion. You do care. What she doesn't understand is that he doesn't have to be present. He's, she's actually acknowledging, if, you, if your presence would have been here, I know you are caring. You do care. You would have kept this from happening because you're that good and you're that strong. She is actually doing the opposite of what she's accusing him of in Luke 10. Martha believed that Jesus could still do it when Jesus acknowledged, like, yeah, I believe. So we, we have a, a faith, we have a love, we have a radical faith on display. And then Jesus even points her to what is going to happen in eternity. And you see and read that she's got this hope in that. Here we see that Martha relies on Jesus, not her projects, not her works. So, if you've ever struggled with a life or being accused, oh, you're just a busy body, Martha, you're always going to listen. In this church, we want to encourage you, don't wear that label. Let it go. Jesus says to you, come to me. I love you. I don't want you to miss out anymore. I don't want you to be pointing at your sister or your brother or this person or that person. I want your Heart, Martha, come to me. I want more for you. And we see Martha living this out. And it's beautiful. It's beautiful. Let's begin right now just coming to the Father. Let's begin in a time of silence, in a moment of prayer. No matter where you've been, no matter how you have been, this week, you you may have felt like you burned every bridge and there might be relationships you need to go mend, but listen, it starts first with this. Run to the Father in Jesus' name. Come and sit before God and recognize that he is bigger and, oh, by the way, he's not surprised by what you did this week and he wants you anyway. I love him. I invite you to this practice of his presence. Begin the examination right now. Jesus, we sing it as the first song today. You are better. We say that and we know it in our hearts to mean you are complete. You're you're everything we need and you're what we long for the most. And God, we confess, I know I do, my temptation to want to control things. When I don't control them, I get worried and I get anxious and I start to act out in busy ways that affect others. And I know there's got to be others here in this room that have experienced that same testimony in their life. As you have helped me, Lord, I pray that you would help them, that you would love them, that you would that they would know right now, be convinced right now that you are calling them by name tenderly to you. 
Jesus, we thank you for bringing us to the Father. No one comes to the Father except through you. So, Jesus, the song that we're about to sing and all that we do sing about is because you made it possible. You paid for our sins. You're healing our relationships and you're changing us. So we run to you. In Jesus' name.